Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on getting the bill before you're ready to leave, putting first names on cards for children, uncomfortable family dinners, and hotel tipping. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, your question of the week is about honoring both someone's late wife and more recent girlfriend in a eulogy. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on sharing drinks from Margaret Visser's The Rituals of Dinner. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Dan, we had such a great call with our Train the Trainer graduate community yesterday. I'm just dying to tell our audience about it, like, right out the gate. <laughs> well, we, we didn't even have a chance to talk afterwards, so I'm so curious. What, give, give me your thoughts, because I'll be hearing them for the first time as well. I was really thrilled about this call. We've managed to have three calls with this group so far this year, and the first was a demo to show everybody how the teachable platform that we sort of run our Train the trainer online program off of works and how as a graduate of the program, if you have an active license, you can continue to access that course material and the updated programs and everything. And we really wanted to, after a couple years of strictly online teaching, walk some of our folks who had been through the in-person teaching through yeah. what what it's like to use that. So it was kind of – the first one was really a demo video to, like, introduce people to some of the benefits and the assets that this program has. And then the second call was really great because we got to really open things up and talk to the trainers about how their trainings are going, how they use the program, why they came to the program, where they're even located at, because we have a lot of diversity in, in this group in terms of where people come from. And this call, what I really loved is that we've now gotten even sort of more new faces. Some of the faces from the last call couldn't be on this one, and that was a bummer, but at least they know they'll get the recording and they could join us for the next one. But it was really cool. It was the second time that we had opened it up to one of the trainers sharing something that they do in their trainings or a piece of etiquette that maybe they've adopted, adjusted, or included that's like beyond the program. We're really hoping that these meetings become a chance to share, I think, a lot of the valuable content that our trainers create and use and put out into the world. And Natalie Volkheimer shared how to recognize Native and First Peoples first when you're at an event and how to give recognition. And it was actually born out of a piece of etiquette that Dan had taught her that she she was really excited about. There's sort of different things throughout the program that people will gravitate towards. And the idea of honoring the eldest person there and that in some communities, the eldest living being would be the land or that it would be the ancestors of of the people of the land and that recognizing those folks, if you aren't a part of that community, welcoming them if you are a part of that community and the difference between those two. And I thought it was really in enlightening, encouraging, um, a new way to be respectful for me, for me. And I always appreciate that. And then I just loved getting to hear from some of our trainers who hadn't yet been on those calls, Shay and Chandran, and to 
to see uh, Nisha and Chandran connect who had talked to each other. I think one of them had informed the other about the program and kind of had been a testimonial on a recommendation via us. So it was cool to see them see each other for the first time. But it was a really great call. <laughs> I can feel it, Lizzie Bose. I can feel your enthusiasm for it. And I came off the call feeling the same way. And um, oh, I, I, like you, am always so impressed with our trainer community. And it is really a delight to have an opportunity to hear how people are doing, but also for different trainers to be able to hear what each other are doing. And I could watch the yes. the sort of the little light bulbs going on on little Zoom boxes as different people realized, oh, this person who's on this call who we've sort of been unfamiliar faces up till now, once they start talking about what they're doing, we share this thing. We share this passion for etiquette, but coming from such different places and using it in such different ways – it was just really fun to watch people learn from each other. And that's another thing that I really value about our in-person trainings and to be able to start to have a component of the Emily Post online world provide an opportunity for that is so exciting for me. And I want to thank you because six months ago, you really took the reins of coordinating and communicating with our trainer community. And we knew that it was an incredible group of people and that we wanted to do more mm-hmm. with them. And you said, I, I'd like to do that. And you're so good socially. I think we both thought that it was a real opportunity and a good direction to, to be taking as a, as a company and for you to be spearheading it. And I can just so feel the success of it, Lizzie Post. I could so feel the good work that you've put into it. And um, that was the big thought I had coming out of that meeting. I was thinking to myself, Lizzie Post has really done an amazing job. And, and this was a fun event. So thank you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate. It. I will. I will take that recognition and run with it. And it, you know, you've you've graduated some really great trainers. So <laughs> I think that together it becomes a really a, a great thing. And I am like you, very glad that we get to support this community in a better way. But it's you know, it's a lot of coordination. It's a lot of emailing. It's a lot of keeping track of folks and a lot of calendar appointments between that Zoom meeting. <laughs> Well, in your world, it's a lot of calendar appointments. In my world, it's a lot of emailing and coordinating for the one the one calendar appointment yes. <laughs> four times a year. <laughs> you, you do a lot more of the book scheduling. But it is really nice to be connected with this group. As you said, it was nice to see members hear the different ways that people use it. And I think one of our members had written back letting us know that she was really encouraged and even surprised at how many people – use the program as a way to provide service to their community, that it's not just about, I want to be an etiquette expert, an etiquette instructor, an etiquette life coach, which I think a lot of people do think that the program is is solely for that or solely for if you're already a teacher or an HR trainer or something like that. And honestly, we even have people who come just because they want to dive really deep into etiquette and feel like they have gone through a rigorous course on it. And that's what this program does. So lots of different ways to engage, lots of different ways to help the community, lots of different ways to be an entrepreneur within the world of etiquette. And it's really fun to see those on display yesterday. Lizzie Post, this is where I'm a little embarrassed, but Renee would not be happy with me if I didn't mention that we also have a 10% discount on our trainer trainings through the end of the year. And totally, it is definitely worth mentioning just because we are talking about our trainers and our training community so much right now. And it is a great time if you have been thinking about becoming a trained etiquette consultant, coach, teacher, instructor, that now is a really good time to be thinking about it. Absolutely. And Dan, don't feel embarrassed at all, man. This is what we do. This is us. I say go for it. You did a very nice job getting our promotion out there. And I am really excited because so many people have taken us up in moments when we do have promotions going on and have become members of this awesome group that you and I get so jazzed about when we connect with it. So no shame, no shame whatsoever. But Renee will be very proud of you. Renee, I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, and we definitely have to get our audience and make sure that we are supporting them. So what do you think? Is it time to get to some questions? Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. 
You could leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just remember, use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled, Check Challenge. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I went out to a bar last week for drinks with a friend. We were having a great time and had been there a while when we were suddenly handed the bill. The bartender had not asked us if we were planning to order anything else or if we were finished. I thought it was kind of rude and felt like we were being pushed out. I could understand this if we had been obnoxious in some way or hadn't ordered a drink in a while or if there were a lot of people waiting for a seat but none of these were the case. The bar was also not closing anytime soon. Am I wrong? What is the etiquette for being handed the check? Thanks, Jenna. Oh, color me miffed, cousin. I have no idea. (laughs) Oh, this one takes me back. Does it? I am remembering, and it's way back. I think I was 14 or 15 years old, but the, the first time I took a trip to Europe with my parents, And I remember my mother and father had a perpetual discussion going on for the entirety of the trip. And it was about how you got your check at the end of the meal. And at least it was at that point a real difference between American and European style manners and expectations around dining out that in Europe, you don't get a check until you ask for it. And it can be awkward for Americans who are sitting around waiting for a check to have to make that request. And the idea is that you're not hurrying anyone along, that Mm -hmm. someone has as much time to repose after their meal as they like, that the discussion is important, that you don't create this feeling of hurrying someone by presenting them with a check until they've asked for it. How about just good business practices too? Like they might order more the longer they sit there. You never know. So why do we do it differently on the other side of the pond? And In America, it is much more customary for a restaurant to present a check to people at the end of the meal. And I think a lot of restaurants think of it as good business, that you turn over tables quicker that way. And that's better for the restaurant. I even remember a 60-minute story years ago about a restaurant in New York that had put hourglasses on the tables. And it was meant to be sort of a trendy, fun thing. But you, Mm -hmm. you know, you sat down and turned your hourglass and you had that long to eat your meal and finish. And then you were expected Mm -hmm. to go or that's when the check came. 
and it's an extreme example, but it was it was meant to illustrate this idea that in America we do try to turn tables over quicker and move people through that experience. And it is a very businesslike approach. And I can see how it would feel rude to someone, but I really want to emphasize to Jenna that even if it is a, a rude practice generally, or if you don't like that way of conducting business, that you don't need to take it personally. It, it isn't necessarily that it was you or your group that they were trying to get out the door, but that you might have been feeling a little moved along, but that that's probably more of a general thing than a personal thing. And it is something that I've heard people talk about, and not everyone's happy about that. Some people prefer continental style dining. Some people prefer American. Some people prefer having to ask for a check because they can repose and enjoy themselves. Other people would prefer to get the check because they would rather get about their business and it's one less thing for them to do. So I'm going to teasingly and lovingly call, I don't know about that cousin on this one. Oh, Is good. that okay? Can I Please. do it? Can I get a little controversial with you? I've worked in many a restaurant and Dan, Dan actually has two. So I don't want to say that as if like, you know, my experience outshines his in some way. And we've both definitely dined in a lot of restaurants in America, especially when we travel for work. But I've got to say, cuz my experience is not what you're describing. It's uh, much more been in, in the space of that whether I was working or, or a patron of a restaurant, that Americans, I think, have a tendency once they're finished their meal, whether that includes dessert or not, once they've kind of finished their drinks at the table, and I, not usually a water, but like glass of wine, a beer, you know, maybe a soda or something like that, coffee, that I find that to be the time when if they've already, they've either already paid the bill because after dessert and after ordering any kind of after dinner drinks, they've decided to ask for the check. I feel like we ask for the check sooner. But that the that that it's less the restaurant who's doing the pushing of the check. And I think that's why my first reaction to Jenna's email to us was was I'm a bit miffed. Like this doesn't happen. You don't just like hand it to someone unless they've asked for it. So from my experience in American dining, I would say we're more inclined to ask for that check quickly, but I don't think the check just comes without it having been asked for or without someone saying, would you like anything else or could I get you your bill? And I have seen that happen, but is that is that an okay pushback? I feel a little bad. Like, I don't want to undercut what you said because I liked it, but... <laughs> No, I'll take it. I, 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 okay, okay. I would never want to paint with such a broad brush. They, oh, this is the way everyone in America does it. This is the American system or way. And I, I, <laughs> I agree with that. I think there's a lot of variability, and it's 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 always dangerous whenever we generalize and say, oh, under this umbrella, most of the times it happens this way. Not as risky as stereotyping, where you take an individual right. and say oh, because you belong to a group, you're guaranteed to do it this way. But within that idea of generalizing, I do think that there is a a broader tendency in America to, to, to bring a check to the table. And I can definitely think of plenty of occasions where I haven't asked for a check, but a check has been brought at the time where the meal is, I don't want to say clearly concluded because there might be some confusion the way Jenna experienced here, but where... Well, right, like hers might not have been clearly, but where yours felt like it was clearly over and the check just came. Like, is that what you're saying? Okay, gotcha. Exactly. Where it, it wasn't incumbent upon me, it wasn't necessary for me to request the check in order for it to come. Although I definitely hear you, I think that the more likely scenario is probably just that we we Americans, speaking from my and your perspective, are used to that maybe so slightly quicker turnaround yeah. between the end of the meal and that moment where you ask for the check. That I think is very true compared with, with European dining, or at least I can't, you've got more European experience than I do. I can, I can speak to Italy and that's it. <laughs> but I, I, I also see Jenna aware of some of these things. She's thinking about, are there people waiting for the table? Mm -hmm. were, we, were we being rude in that way, either to people waiting or to a restaurant itself? And I really appreciate that level of awareness and perspective and even without those conditions in place, just the the habits of the restaurant might have been such that you ended up being presented with a check. Dan, it's also possible that Jenna and her friend just simply got 
a bartender in a moment of trying to hurry someone along and like, or that a, the bartender possible. might have thought that it was you who had asked for a check, but really it was the person at the other end of the bar. And just like things do happen where this just might have been exactly what it was, a random awkward moment, like where whoops, didn't, you know, like, and the it's, it's a good reminder that sometimes even when there isn't anything other than maybe even an accident or a mistake behind it, it could still create an awkward impression. It's like, wait Absolutely. a minute, are you rushing me along? No, no, I just got your check instead of theirs and didn't realize it at all because I'm working hard and trying to remember 10 different things. So I know that happens when you're behind the bars every now and again, too. And I guess a final thought, yeah. because this is just such a great question, is. is that in some ways I, I also want to say trust your instincts. If it felt rude, if it felt like it was a signal or – even if it wasn't a signal directed at you, if you just didn't like that way of concluding a meal and the feeling that it created, I would notice it and maybe it would affect your decision to go back there again next time. Or maybe you would say, oh, that wasn't so great and that's not enough to say I'm not going to go back. But maybe if you felt that kind of hurried or rushed or um, just – not being well taken care of again in the future, you say, okay, this is the second time or the third time, depending on how many chances you give right, a place. Right. And then you look for a different bar to go to. But it, it, I think it's fair to to notice it and remember it. And even if you're not going to change your behavior to sort of put it in that little memory bank and say, oh, I like the service at this place or I'm not as fond of the service at this place. And that might affect where you choose to dine in the future. I would also say that if y'all were still interested in another round of drinks and someone did preemptively present you with your bill, as long as you haven't signed up for like two hours at a table, which we know there have been some experimenting with things like that during the reservation system, it's okay for you to say, oh, you know what? Actually, we'd love to order another drink. Is you know, I don't think you have to even add an is that okay, but you could just to be polite, you know? Um, so if, if you really weren't finished, no, no reason why to not try and spend more money at the bar. You know what I mean? But Jenna, thank you so much for the question. This was a, a slightly different take on the presenting of the check, and we really appreciate hearing it. Thanks so much for giving us a chance to explore it. Then there's the job of being a hostess or a head waiter. This, too, requires careful training. Such persons are the restaurant's direct contact with its patrons. It is through them that the customers form their opinions. Their importance is never underestimated by a successful restaurant. Their jobs are good ones, but it has taken training and personality to get them and keep them. Our next question is about a card conundrum. Hello, I'm having trouble finding any discussion of this online and happened across your Instagram account where you asked for questions. So here goes. I am sending birthday cards to children in a third grade Sunday school class that I help teach. I would like to list our names, and the children know us by our first names. Ms. or Miss Julie, for example. We are all over 40 and either married or divorced. When in writing, should it be Miss Julie or Mrs. Julie? I am thinking Mrs., but thought it was a question worth asking, as it seems more and more common for children to refer to adults this way possibly even outside the South. We are in Alabama. Thank you, Melissa. Melissa, thank you so much for the question. I almost called you Julie because of the sample names in the script. Dan, can I make quick work of this one? Please do. All right. You would either go by Miss Julie, as in M-I-S-S Julie, which sometimes gets pronounced Ms. M-I-Z, but really is supposed to be that Miss Julie. It's a friendly way of acknowledging an adult that you are very familiar with, especially if you're a child. Um, and it can carry on into adulthood, too. People do, like, still refer to some of their close elders as Miss so-and-so, even even when they're close. And you do you can do Mr. or Mix with a first name as well. But I would think that if you're going to use the Mrs. or the MS title, that's when we're using our last name. So that the Miss in a friendly, familiar way goes with a first name and the MRS or the MS goes with a last name. I am so happy that that was your answer because I thought that was the answer, <laughs> but I had to write, right, Lizzie? Question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> I'm turning more into my mother every day because I'm going to end up being our little etiquette encyclopedia by the end of my lifetime. <laughs> 
Well, I, I, I appreciate the clarity and I also really appreciate this tradition and I want to affirm for Melissa that we do see it outside of the South. In fact, I see it every morning when I drop my little girl off at daycare. Aww. And we are way up in the North. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Melissa, we really hope that this helps as you and your fellow teachers sign these cards. And thank you for finding us on Instagram. Well, all right. You might as well write it together. Here, you can write some now. Oh, good. You know, I think writing letters is going to be a lot of fun. Our next question is titled Dinner Drama. Dear Lizzie and Dan, my sisters and our families share a summer home in coastal Maine every summer. That sounds very nice. We have a neighbor there who, while she can be a lovely, helpful person, is a bit, shall we say, judgmental? On my first night there and Sister A's last night there, we all went to a lovely restaurant on the ocean where I ordered a seafood stew. As we were eating, Ms. Judgment looked at me and pointed out, with a good deal of gusto, that I had splattered some red sauce on my blouse. I laughed it off. Oh, yeah, you know me, par for the course. She then said, And you have sauce all over your face, neck, and down your blouse. I panicked, grabbed my phone from my purse to check my face in the camera. Nothing was there. As I tucked away the phone, Sister A said to me, You're fine. Nothing is there. I was so upset. I almost said something, but considering it was Sister A's last night, I decided against it and just said, My face is fine. Ms. Judgment didn't hear. In fairness, she does have hearing issues. As we were leaving, she pointed out another spot on my blouse. Again, I used the time to joke about our late mother's propensity to do the same. Well, I did inherit something from mom. However, I was bothered when my husband arrived. He said I should say something to her. I thought about it and kept thinking, what would Lizzie and Dan do? I decided to speak to her. I made a cake and cut a large piece for her and knocked on her door. First, I gave her the cake and invited her to come to dinner with us later in the week. Then I said that I was surprised at what she had said that night, especially because it wasn't true. She said, it wasn't? I calmly said, no, there was nothing on my face, and I was shocked that she would say that. She never admitted any failure and said, I wonder what it was. I decided to drop it. I said my piece. Now here's the funny part. When we went to dinner and shared a fondue as an appetizer, I almost laughed out loud when Ms. Judgment took her fondue fork, dipped it into the pot, and then ate it from the same fork. My husband was about to say something, but I gave him the look. I could have pointed out that this was a big no-no. The restaurant did supply small plates and forks, but I figured, why have another dinner battle? It just made me kind of chuckle. What do you think? Sloppy, but laughing. <laughs> Dan, please, you gotta read what you wrote in the notes. Oh, Lizzie Post, my head is spinning. <laughs> I was thinking that was gonna be what you would say. <laughs> and while I want nothing more than to talk about fondue etiquette, I just have to acknowledge the incredibly awkward human situation that really is the the, the heart of this question in so many ways. And it it feels so awkward to me because I almost can't believe it. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that someone would, in a social setting, say, oh, you have stuff all over you when you don't. Yep. And when you say, oh, that's just me, they're like, oh, no, but really, it's all over you. And then th the people around you would not be seeing it the same way or participating in that same reality. To me, that kind of schism about the, the reality of what's happening at the table is too much feels, to take <laughs> feels so awkward i almost don't know what to do can you help yes I, I will let me at least parse out what i can for this one sloppy but laughing thank you for the question one thing we we don't know a couple things going into this that that i think might help me feel a little differently about it if this person was very much older than me, I'm probably going to brush it all off because 
I know folks just don't, it, it doesn't always register. Sometimes if, you know, sight isn't always great. I can't assume any of those things because I haven't been told them. But if that was the case, if I was picturing someone who just does kind of say bizarrely awkward things or maybe sees some things that aren't really there. And I don't mean like they're just straight up hallucinating, but you know, the distance creates so much that they can't tell if that's just your blushing or something or, you know, a, a mark on your face or something, or it's tomato sauce all over, you know? And I do, I'm with Dan. I think it's very awkward and strange to have someone tell you that there is sauce all over your face, neck, and down your blouse. And then when you and your sister look, there is nothing there. That's what leads me to believe that maybe this person isn't always able to perceive what's going on well. And that would be a big sign to just let it go that it might've felt really awkward and uncomfortable, but if it's so far out of reality that we're in that zone of being so far out of reality, that's when sometimes I say, we're not even going to confront because that was so far in the zone of awkward that I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> There's no reparative work that can happen, really. No, if you're in that zone. If we're dealing with someone who isn't in that zone, if we're dealing with someone who is pretty capable, you know, that they could clearly tell whether something was actually on your face. We're talking about like red sauce here. You know what I mean? If this is something – and this is the other thing we don't know – how often does misjudgment do these types of things? And what are some of the other examples of them? Or was this really random? So these are the things that start to go into my head. And when I think about approaching this situation, I actually want to strip away things like the cake and the offer for dinner again. And if I'm going to confront it, I think that what I want to do in the situation, and again, this is just my personal perspective, I would want to go over and say, and, and talk to the person and say, you know, hi, misjudgment, wondering if you had a few minutes to talk this afternoon. I wanted to talk to you about something that happened last night at dinner and let them know. And as Dan always does so well, you ask for their permission to have the conversation, checking in that now is a good time, giving them a little bit of info about what it's about, because I think... Sometimes we have time for a very quick, hey, do you have a cup of sugar? And we don't have time for, or we aren't in a space to have time for a, you know, like, oh, let's look and examine my behavior or something that happened between us. But if you get that permission to have that conversation, again, without the cake, without the invitation to dinner again, I would say something like, last night I was really confused. You had told me that I had stuff all over my face, but when I checked it, and even when my sister checked it, there wasn't anything there. And I just wasn't sure if maybe you were playing a joke on me or if you really did think something was there or I, the, the moment was so out of our normal interaction that I did want to ask you about it because I was feeling uncomfortable after it. And I think that might be a way to address it. But beyond that, I don't think I'm going to address it. And I would only do that if it was, if it was so stuck in my head and it was so awkward and different from our normal interactions. That would be how I would approach it. But I, I would try to, I think my reason for wanting to keep the cake and the extra invitation away is that I don't want those to look like I'm trying to bribe for the conversation, which I'm not, I'm not necessarily certain that they would. But I'm also, if if something is going on and I discover this person has beef with me or something and maybe we can't even get through it, now I've got a dinner invitation that I've already issued that I'm uncertain about. And so I think that's one of the reasons why sometimes you hear Dan and I talk about in a lot of situations how notes, uh, kindnesses, favors, continue like showing an interest to continue a relationship can be important to awkward moments. And sometimes they're not. And this is one where I don't think they're as important to, the, to solving the issue of the awkward moment. When I read this, Dan, I tend to lean – and again, I don't know misjudgment. I don't know uh, what her faculties are. I don't know what her standards and norms are. All I know is that our lovely listener says that she's a helpful person, but shall we say judgmental. So I'm guessing this isn't the first time. But what I find weird about this is that it's not necessarily judgment. It's like 
calling out broccoli on the tooth when there's no broccoli on the tooth. <laughs> like, And I don't know what that is, but it doesn't seem like judgment. It seems like a mistake. And when I put it into the category of a mistake, all of a sudden my anxiety lifts, my feeling hurt lifts. And I say, you know what? This was just an awkward moment. And I'm bummed it happened to me and through me, but it just happened and that's it. And again, I'm not trying to gaslight or, or tell our listener how they should feel. They know misjudgment much better than I do. But when I look at this situation just exactly as it's presented to us, I see a very awkward moment that m- might have me wanting to kind of keep an eye on someone, check in on them a little bit, but also might just be something that I can I can blow off and not worry so much about because they're, you, you know, you got the confirmation from your sister and your cell phone. There wasn't anything on your face. This was this was a mistake at best and a weird I, I'm going to just say it weird joke at worst or bad joke, maybe like a not not funny joke at worst. I No, I think you're onto something. And as I hear you talk about it, I, I really appreciate that distinction, that distinction between someone making a mistake or someone making a bad joke, or I was even thinking of it as a, a, a habit of criticism. Oh, that that's I'm, another I'm good one. I'm used to correcting people all yep. the time, so I just do it quickly and blah, 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 blah. And I, I might even correct so often that – when someone pushes back a little bit and says, oh, that's OK, you're like, oh, no, no, really, you should fix it. Or it, it, th- that correction just rolls off the tongue and that's how you end up being thought of by your lovely neighbors as Mrs. Judgment. And I definitely like, though, your your latitude around the idea of the mistake. And if it's the other, if it's someone who's hypercritical or habitually critical or correcting and – that is starting to wear on you. I do think that there is some space for self-respect, for addressing that with them, particularly if you can't just excuse yourself from a relationship with them. If they are a neighbor, if they are someone who for other reasons – and it's mentioned in the question how helpful this woman can also be – where it might be worth giving them some little indicators that that judgment isn't always appreciated or well-received. And I do think that there is a certain – Irony, and I think this is the correct use of irony, although I don't know for sure that in the next opportunity to engage socially that our question asker – and I don't even want to call her sloppy but laughing. I just want to say laughing Laughing. and maybe neat but laughing. (laughs) There Um, you go, neat but laughing. (laughs) Got to sit and witness an equally egregious etiquette faux pas and was able to hold her tongue. And I just really appreciate the willingness to let it go at that point Mm -hmm. to notice the, the mistake. And I put it in And this is the fondue mistake that you're talking about, right? Absolutely. And just in case (laughs) anyone wants to know, and this is an etiquette show, so let's talk about it. The etiquette of fondue fondue is that you use the long pointy fork to dip a single bite and then you remove it from that long pointy fork onto (laughs) your own small plate with the fork that you're then going to eat with. So there is a a step between the, the whatever it is going into the communal pot on the long fork and that going into your mouth. So – that's the 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 moment where our question asker got to say to themselves, is this my opportunity for retribution and <laughs> wisely held her tongue? Very, very wisely. I would say that our question asker has some good judgment going on here in that particular scenario. Sloppy but laughing or more appropriately, we don't think you're so sloppy, but probably still (laughs) laughing. Thank you so much for the question. Clearly, there was a lot to talk about here, and we really appreciate you sending it in. And good manners at the table make for a pleasant and comfortable meal. Such things as coming to the table with clean hands and face, passing food properly, and pleasant conversation make mealtime enjoyable for the whole family. Yes, you see good manners wherever there are people who respect each other and want to get along with others. Our next question is titled Tipping Trouble. Dear Dan and Lizzie, I recently took a trip to your lovely state and stayed at a small independent hotel for five days of my trip. Oh, wow. During my stay there, my room did not receive any housekeeping services. 
There were signs about reusing towels in an effort to be more green, which I'm on board with. But aside from that, there were no mentions of curbing housekeeping services. I did not receive service or anything else. I imagined that if I'd asked, someone would have helped out, but I was busy and there were no major messes or anything like that. My question is about tipping in a situation like this. Normally, I think of a tip at a hotel as a cumulative amount, acknowledging housekeeping work done for the length of the stay, and not just the cleaning period after checkout. But if a guest does not receive any housekeeping services during a stay, should the tip be reflective of the checkout day's cleaning only, or is it still best practice to leave a tip for the length of the stay? For what it's worth, I left a tip amount for the entire stay. But as I was considering the different sides, I thought, I wonder what Dan and Lizzie would have to say. Thank you, Vermont Visitor. Oh, Vermont Visitor, we hope you had a wonderful time in our state. And thank you so much for choosing Vermont to come visit. We certainly appreciate it. And I, I, I'm like, I'm. I'm I'm thinking that our Vermont visitor like went above and beyond with what they did leave. And if I had been in this situation, I probably would have left a, a cleaning tip that felt equivalent to the, the one day that they would be cleaning the room. But if nothing has been done, I mean, truly no bed remade, no soaps refreshed or no, you know, like tidying at all of the room, if the room truly hasn't been entered for the five days that you were staying there, then I think, especially if you haven't left a big mess, if it's, if it is just the standards, you know, then I think just for that night would be fine. I don't, you know, I don't see much of a difference between the two unless we're looking at other things that that housekeeping staff might have been doing for you that weren't related to just your room. But I'm having trouble thinking about that as more broadly. So maybe maybe in this circumstance, you would leave like a slightly elevated daily tip, but not the full you wouldn't I, I don't feel like you'd have to be obligated to leave the full amount of tipping that your stay would have taken if that per, if they had been cleaning your room daily. Lizzie, I had a very similar Initial reaction to this question, I thought to myself, no made bed, no empty trash, no vacuum, no new soaps. I know you'd be upset about the no new soaps. You like those soaps. <laughs> I do. <I'm>, anyway, <laughs> weird things about me. <laughs> and I also don't need to have my room cleaned every day. So I often am the person who says, no, don't worry about it. I don't need daily service. But then I will also call and ask for a fresh soap and shampoo. <laughs> The mechanics of tipping for housekeeping is something that I do want to talk about a little bit here because I think that there is a, a practical approach that provides a good answer. Mm -hmm. And theoretically, the idea with tipping uh, for housekeeping services when you're staying somewhere is that you do it in an ongoing way, that you do it as the service occurs. And the thinking is that the person who cleans your room on a Monday might be a different person than the person that cleans the room on a Wednesday or a Friday or a Saturday, Sunday. Mm -hmm. So you leave a little bit each day that the service happens and it gets to the correct person, the person who's actually there doing the service. And if you do the cumulative tip at the end of a stay, it is a generous gesture. The amount is probably about right, but there's not a guarantee that it goes into the hands of the people that actually provided the service. And All the different people who provided it, yeah. So I was a little bit thinking to myself on the, the last day of a five-day stay – the usual routine for me would be to tip the usual one night amount. And that's what has me thinking that that's the correct amount in this situation. Because if you had been leaving that tip each day for the person who would be doing the service, mm -hmm. it would never have been picked up. They never would have been in the room. And then on the last day, the tip is delivered for that service. You'd still leave it for – yeah. I also yeah. appreciate erring on the side of generosity. I love tipping coming from a place of gratitude and appreciation. And if there's a question in your mind and you can afford it, leaning into showing that appreciation. But I think that you would be well within all of your etiquette good marks, at least to our understanding of it, if you did just tip for the daily service as the days occur. And if that happens to be the last day and it hasn't been – a cumulative mess over the course of the week if you're not mm -hmm. asking an extra lot of the person who's doing that cleaning at the end of five days. I think the amount that would be a usual service tip is a good amount to have in mind. And for those wondering, that's usually between about like three and five dollars, I would say. Yeah. Does that sound about right? A couple for dollars a, a night. Day? 
like five a, drifts a little so two, high two, on my yeah, end like of the scale. Two, maybe but, two yeah. to five and five for that. Like nobody came throughout the whole week, but it might be a little bit of a bigger cleaning because of that. Like I could see that. Yeah. I think that's well said, Lizzie Post. <laughs> Vermont visitor again, thank you so much for taking the time to come and visit our beautiful state. We are so glad you had a lovely stay and we hope that you will return again soon. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are The Emily Post Institute. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you enjoy Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help to keep awesome etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we have feedback directly from Christine on her question about an iffy wedding invitation from episode 417. Oh, I can't wait to hear. I really love it when people who wrote in like, right, you know, let us know how it went. <laughs> Dear Lizzie and Daniel, I wrote to you about a confusing wedding invitation I received, and you answered on episode 417 on September 5th. I was so happy to hear my question on the podcast because I definitely needed help navigating this conundrum. I appreciated your advice and wanted to let you know how it all turned out. I was not going to be seeing my friend prior to the wedding, so having an in-person conversation was not going to happen. I had to send another email, and I'm including the email I sent and the friend's reply below with their name removed to give you the full context. As it turns out, the friend was trying to figure out how to relay to me that I was uninvited. Their guest list expanded beyond what they intended. It sounds very chaotic. And I'm glad that through my email, I was both able to relieve them of a little bit of stress and figure out what my plans were for that weekend. Thanks again for your help and for producing an awesome podcast. Lizzie. Could you read us the email and I'll cover the reply? Okay, sure. Sounds good. So here is the email that Christine wrote. Hi, hope you're doing great, exclamation point. I wanted to touch base because I'm a little unsure about your wedding invitation. I didn't hear back from you in response to my email with the RSVP and question about replying via the not. So I wanted to make sure you were planning on us attending or check if there was anything wrong. I thought it could be possible I received the email invitation in error since I couldn't locate myself on the site. If it was a mistake, and then this is in caps, I completely, and now no longer in caps, understand. And having had my own wedding a few years ago, no, there are always limits to the guest list, exclamation point. The last thing I want is to create any stress or complications for you and Roxanne. While Brian and I would attend to celebrate you, we are also fine not attending if you are stretched for space, didn't register my RSVP because it got lost, or the email wasn't meant to come to me. I just wanted to clear it up for planning purposes as the day approaches and other events are coming up for the day. No matter what, I hope you two have a gorgeous day, a lot of fun, and a happily ever after, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. All the best, exclamation point, Christine. And I wanted to read all those exclamation points because I actually do think they help with the friendliness. <laughs> <laughs> and then, Dan, do you want to read the reply? In reply, thank you, Christine, for your very caring and diplomatic email, exclamation point. I have been tortured lately because as much as I intended and wanted to have you at the wedding, circumstances have, as you surmised, spun out of control and dozens more family members are attending than expected. Our venue is becoming a bit annoyed. I've been trying to figure out how to express this to you and you already laid it all out in your message. It sounds like you'll have no shortage of fun things to do on 10-1. I'm glad. 
I value your friendship and camaraderie, and thanks for being so understanding, B. I really want to thank Christine for sending these two back and forth because this was a super awkward situation. And technically, we still don't know whether the invitation was a mistake being sent or whether it was just a please, can we recall this invitation, which from an etiquette standpoint, we all know is like not a cool thing to have to do or really something you can do. So we, we still don't quite know what's going on. But at the same time. I can feel the relief. The relief on the part of the bride is yeah. like, or 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 uh, or the groom. I don't know who wrote it, but it is is absolutely palpable. It, it they were clearly in a moment of panic. Whether it was, oh my gosh, this person was not supposed to receive an invitation, or whether it was, oh my gosh, seven of my relatives have all said they're bringing their kids, or my aunts and uncles thought that the invitation extended to their adult children, and it doesn't. And you know, like there's just. This couple has been thrown for a loop on their guest list and they are stressed out because the venue is annoyed and they literally just had a guest write the nicest email that says, if there is any way that you – it would be easier for me to not come to your wedding, that works for me too. If we are meant to be invited, I will be there with bells on. I mean, it's just – I thought Christine did an amazing job with her email. Lizzie you are so right. Christine did an amazing job (laughs) here. She (laughs) did. Like she really, really did. And And got the clarity. That yes. she needs. Yes. And she got the clarity she needs. She brought relief to a stressful situation. And I love the fact that the bride ends – or I keep saying the bride, but it, c- it could be a groom too. So I love that the person she wrote to ends with, I value your friendship and camaraderie and thanks for being so understanding. Because this is an awkward moment and there are ways to get through awkward moments like easily sometimes. And I think Christine found that way. Christine, thank you for the question. Thank you for sharing the feedback. We so appreciate it. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to dive back into one of our favorites, the world of Margaret Visser's The Rituals of Dinner, to look at drinking etiquette and how it's changed over time. This excerpt can be found on page 246 and 247. Visser begins, Sharing, which makes eating such a powerful symbol of community, is in some respects more perfectly performed when people drink the same liquid, even if we leave out of account the extra punch administered by alcohol. Even if we pour out separate drinks rather than suck the liquid from a single source, what runs from a single bottle into the different glasses is all one. It is seen to be one and remains the same in every glass. No cutting or choosing is even possible. It has been rare among us until fairly recently for each person to have his or her own glass at table. Often, drink was imbibed from a single cup passed round the company. As late as 1855, the American Illustrated Manners book speaks of sharing a drinking vessel as a sign quite commonly desired of closeness. Quote, Two persons may drink from the same glass, but this intimacy should never be forced on anyone, end quote. And Gabriel Oak in Thomas Hardy's Far From the Maddening Crowd, 1874, was thought a, quote, nice, unparticular man for refusing a clean cup for his ale. Quote, no, not at all, he said in a reproving tone of considerateness. I never fuss about dirt in its pure state, and when I know what sort it is. I like that. In spite of the modern terror of germs, the power of ceremonially sharing one cup to induce what anthropologists call communitas, or the sense of togetherness at table, is probably even greater now that we are all used to having our own glasses. It can be used at celebrations of the Eucharist and of passing the loving cup. A similarly powerful symbol of unification is the circulation of the North American Indian tobacco pipe, where the smoke from the burning weed, also a mild drug, takes the place of alcohol. 
Greeks at a symposium celebrated the bonds of friendship and like-mindedness, which held the group together by passing a capacious pottery cup of wine in a circle, as they said, from left to right, from person to person. The wine was mixed with water first, the proportions of water to wine being decided by a symposiarch. A liquid once mixed becomes again all one, and so perfectly expresses the agreement of everyone to abide by the rules. Expecting to drink from a separate vessel, on the other hand, where sharing cups is the custom, signifies that one is hostile and distrustful. It is similar to demanding that one's food should be tested for possible poison or bringing one's own straw to an Atesso beer party. A very grand person may be allowed to cut himself off from others by bringing his own cup, just as a great lord could once demand to have his food poison-tested. Among the Igbo of Nigeria, titled men are allowed their own gourd cup or horn, mpai. But anyone else who brings his own shows distrust and a strained relationship with his host. In ancient Greece, a dinner party without singing or discussions, with no sharing wine mixed in the crater or letting cups occasionally circulate among the group, produced a sense of stifling gloom. Orestes, who arrived in Athens, pursued by the Furies for having murdered his mother, was received and given dinner, but the horror and fear which his polluted state inspired was expressed by every person present at the meal, having to eat in silence and drink from a separate pitcher. Symposiasts seem to have been supplied with small individual cups in addition to the large shared ones. They may also have been allowed to bring their own cups to the party without causing offense. Athenian courtesans, they were called heteri, companions, could attend banquets as respectable women could not, but they apparently had to bring their own cups. Some of these have survived, inscribed with their owners' nicknames in the trade. Typical examples of such names meant lioness, mania, couchy, skinny, sweetie, mouthy, tipsy, and toad. That last one gets me, toad. <laughs> but I did so love seeing the loving cup as something that was mentioned in this particular section from Visser, because that's something that my family does. We have a loving cup that's this giant silver cup that all the names of any couples in our family who have gotten married gets engraved onto the cup. And at the wedding, the cup is brought. It's filled with ginger ale now instead of alcohol because a lot of us either don't like alcohol or are, are recovering and so don't want to be drinking alcohol. So we fill it with ginger ale. But it is drunk by everyone who is on the cup and married at the reception of the wedding of the new couple who's been added to the cup and the new couple drinks first. But I loved I loved hearing about this this sort of history of whether drink was shared and what that meant and and whether it wasn't and what that might mean given that we all kind of drink from our own nowadays for the most part. And it's so true and is often sort of classic visser. She's looking at a very specific behavior, but then she draws these these larger themes out of those particular behaviors. I think she's so good at it and this yeah. idea that that ultimately it's about sharing and how sharing connects people and mm -hmm. the the vocab comitas. I, I just I want to go look it up and I want to know what it means exactly. Communitas, yeah, yeah, communitas, yeah. and and I want to be able to use it because it so clearly expresses when I heard it in context that concept, and I just I just love it. Also, Lizzie Post detail. I noticed that we're passing right, which I love. I know. I thought you might like that particular one. <laughs> Once again, Lizzie Post, thank you for finding us a delightful reading from Margaret Visser's The Rituals of Dinner. My pleasure. Some of the kids feel you've got to drink to be one of the gang. That's what I say. If you want to be one of the gang, you've got to act like one of the gang. You don't want people to think you're a square, do you? You mean to say you think you have to drink? I don't drink and I get along all right with the gang. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Anonymous. Dear Lizzie Dan and team, thank you for the time, care, and fun you put into each podcast. I have a salute I would like to offer, and it is based on episode 407. 
In that episode, there was a question from oncology nurse taking some heat about mean medical messages. This immediately tugged at my heart because I have experienced cancer and I've witnessed the emotional toll that working in a cancer ward can have on nurses and doctors. Today, a memory popped up for me on social media, and it was a picture of a certificate of completion of chemotherapy, which I received on my last day of the treatment seven years ago. This reminded me of the oncology nurse that wrote to you, so I want to express my gratitude to the oncology nurse and really all healthcare workers. Your hard work, care, and dedication does not go unnoticed, and it is appreciated. The kindness that you show to patients when they are at their worst is imprinted in our hearts, and we carry memories of you long after leaving your care. Thank you. No evidence of disease, cancer patient. Oh. Lizzie Post, you teared up early in the show. That salute brings a tear to my eye. I so appreciate that sentiment and just want to echo it and am really appreciative that you sent it in. And congratulations on your recovery. Yes, I want to second that. It did, Dan, it did make me tear up too. And I just want to say congratulations on your recovery and a a big um, just seconding of the motion of saluting all of our healthcare workers who help us through these very difficult situations. Thank you for sending in your salute. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something and everybody who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and please do share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share podcasts. You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people to find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget.